You're listening to the Movie Crew Podcast. Tonight, we're talking about Daniel Craig's fourth Bond outing and the newest Bond film, Spectre. Our dreams, they feel real while we're in them, right? It's only when we wake up that we realize something is actually strange. The middle children of history, man. No purpose, no place. We have no great war. No great depression. Podcast. I'm Brian. With me tonight, Jeremy Benson. Yellow. You ready to talk Spectre? Sure, let's go for it. All right. So this is the 24th James Bond movie in the Eon production. 26 if you're not. That, that doesn't count, right? That Those aren't real Bond movies. Which ones are not real Bond movies? Never Say Never Again and Casino Royale in the 60s. Counting the Eon productions only here, buddy. The actual Bond films. Now, what what makes these others not Bond films? They were not made by Eon Productions. That's what makes them not Bond movies. That's 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 it. Even though Sean Connery was in um, Never Say Never Again, but you know, did they refer to him as James Bond? Yeah, they sure did. Did they do the? No, they did not. They, they don't have not. the rights to that music. Okay. So yeah, everything Bond related, like the Bond logo and all that stuff, is just Eon. Oh, and before we uh, really get started, too, I have to recommend uh, Blood, Sweat, and Bond, which is a nice little production photograph book. If, you know, if you're into that thing, it's, a, it's not a lot to read, really. Um, some cool pictures, though. Yeah, a lot of really cool pictures. It's got some quotes with, you know, some of the crew members that worked in the films and things like that. And it's got a little bit of production notes, but it's mostly for behind-the-scenes pictures. If you're into that kind of thing, I recommend picking it up. So, okay, this is Sam Mendez. He's returning. In fact, almost everybody's returning with the exception of Roger Deakins and Stuart Bear. Yeah. Were the editor and DP on Skyfall. Now they were replaced with Hoyt Van Hoymida, or I, I can't pronounce this guy's name. The guy that shot Interstellar and let the right one in. Good uh, track record. Good, good track record with some beautiful imagery. Yes. Uh, of course, he shot Christopher Nolan's last movie, Interstellar. And they also got the editor for Interstellar and The Dark Knight Rises and The Dark Knight. Mr. Lee Smith. Insert applause now. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's great. He's a great guy. If you can't get Stuart Bear, you get Lee Smith. So he's bringing in a little bit, little bit more Nolan here. I, I guess you could say. I, I doubt he was thinking, I want to bring in Nolan stuff. <laughs> I, you know, I bet you was thinking, I want to bring in Nolan's crew. I don't know, man. He hired his DP and his editor on his last movie. You know? I, I mean, I'm pretty sure he's just like, these guys are talented. I want them working on the movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's because they worked on some awesome stuff. I mean, they're... Oh, man. Well, they, and they have... The movie is pretty awesome. Yes, it is. It is a good Bond film. We talked about Skyfall kind of channeling the Dark Knight. Do you feel like Spectre is channeling a little bit of the Dark Knight Rises? 
Oh, I never thought about that. Um, oh, really? I, I guess it did in a way. Uh, well, oh, man, crap. You, you caught me off guard on this. Oh, because I thought the cinematography, like, it goes back to kind of the earth well, tones. Are we, are we, are we spoiling now or are we not spoiling now? No, we're not spoiling now. Okay, then let's save this for later. Okay, we'll save this for later. All right, fair enough. Because you you, you caught me off guard, but there is some <laughs> there is some there is some similarities that are showing up now that I'm thinking about it. You know, this delves into Bond's backstory a little bit, much like Skyfall did. Well, I mean, this is this is obviously a a, a Bond sequel to Skyfall. Like, give us the plot. Go go with go with the non non spoiler plot, and I'll listen and smile. The non-spoiler plot is... Uh, I am not good at these non-spoiler segments of the show. It's like, how can we talk about stuff without not talking about stuff? Well, you know what? Let's just read the IMDb descri- plot here. A cryptic message from Bond's past sends him on a trail to uncover a sinister organization. While M battles political forces to keep the Secret Service alive, Bond peels back the layers of deceit to reveal the terrible truth behind Spectre. That's kind of the plot. That's very vague, but uh, you know, a lot happens in this movie. Let's talk about all the negative reaction that this film has gotten. I don't understand it. It's quite surprising. It's a little disconcerting because, as a Bond fan, this felt like the Bond movies of old, just done really, really well. It was like Daniel Craig and Sam Mendes were like, you know what? Let's add a little bit more of the Bond elements let's let them seep in a little bit more well it goes back to what we were talking about with skyfall how you see him growing as this you know this character and at the end of skyfall he is james bond of old and this is the movie where we get to see him being james bond not learning to be james bond he is james bond this is this movie is about james bond he goes off on his own, he's following leads. They make a point to say he's on his own on this one. The supporting staff is there. They're not just there. They're doing stuff. They're involved. I, I mean, I thought it was great. I don't, I don't see what the problem is. Yeah, um, M and Money, Penny and Q actually get involved in this film. They're not just there to give Bond his mission. They're, they're yeah. heavily involved in the plot in this one. Yeah. And we get back a little bit to the mastermind villain taking over the world. Yeah. And in a very modern way, though. Yeah, and I was really okay with that. A lot of people seemed like that was not the way, what they wanted. But why not? It's a James Bond movie. That's what happens in James Bond movies. Well, that's what I don't understand. It's like everybody got Casino Royale where James Bond's like running through walls, and that's fine when it's James Bond begins, and that's his first mission. But when this movie starts off, you see Bond... Right away in the opening shot, when he's just walking, he has got so much confidence. He doesn't wor- He's got this shit under control. He's been there, done all the breakthrough wall stuff. Yeah. Now and- it's time to take on helicopters. <laughs> the movie's now in sequence with Daniel Craig as, as James Bond. They've been building up to this movie. Totally this is agree. the payoff of all the movies. If you don't think this is a good payoff, then I'm not sure you're a Bond fan. It gets me excited for the sequel. Like, I'm really excited where they're going to go from here. Now we have every element of Bond is here. It, all right, we're going to have to go into spoilers now because we're, we're into, like, conversation about the film. And you can't talk about the film without spoiling something. But All right, well... Spoiler break. <laughs> all right, let's play the trailer for Spectre. We'll be right back. 
This organization. Do you know what it's called? Its name is Spectre. Look around you, James. Everything you believed in. A ruin. Why did you come? I came here to kill you. And I thought you came here to die. Well, it's all a matter of perspective. And we're back. That's the trailer for Spectre. All right, what were you saying now, Benson? <laughs> oh, 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 the sequel. What? what the oh, yeah, where it was going. The possibilities yes. of the sequel. When you leave him in Spectre, I mean in Skyfall, you you leave him knowing that now he is he has regained his confidence. He has defeated childhood, you know, childhood memories. He's gotten through his own personal demons. He is ready to be James Bond. At the end of Spectre. And like the question that is brought up to Bond during Spectre is now that you have it, you 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 are here. Is this what you want? It ends with him having the option to not be a spy anymore, and he drives off with the most beautiful lady possible. Oh yeah, Leah Sadu. I am in love with this James Bond girl. Uh, plays Doctor Swan, who is uh, yes, she is a terrific Bond girl. So obviously, to me, like the setup for the next one is that he has he has gone off to some island to live with Doctor Swan, and they need James Bond to come back. What can bring Bond back, as opposed to what can keep him going? You know what I mean? Man, I, I really hope that they set up a Honor Majesty's Secret Service. I just don't want to lose her. Daniel Craig's he's contracted to come back for one more Bond film. He has a contract that says he's got to do five Bond films. So what I'm thinking is is that they'll bring her, they'll bring him back for the sequel, kill her off, and he's finally going to have to go after Blofeld. Super spoilers, guys! Like seriously, watch this film before, before listening you- to this podcast. No, please. You know, we, we've given you, know, you guys three I, weeks. I, but- I think I think I think by now. If anybody listens to our podcast, I, I think by now they know. Just go watch the movie first because our non-spoiler section lasts like 26 seconds. Now, we saw this opening night. Yes. Now, we got to see this with some Bond fans. There were some people actually dressed up in tuxedos. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, and the audience was – this On was probably – <laughs> Yeah, it was probably the best crowd to go see a midnight or, well, 7 o'clock screening of Spectre. When this film starts off – and the gun barrel scene is in the beginning. I heard somebody Theater erupted. Yeah, somebody I mean, in the streets just said, "Shit, fuck yeah!" Yeah, it was. People were excited, and uh, that so open the opening sequence that follows in Mexico, the Day of the Dead, is one of the best opening sequences I have ever had the privilege of sitting in a theater and watching. I'm gonna go ahead and say it right now. I don't think this is my favorite Bond film. But this is the best Bond cold open. Oh, yeah. Dude, this sequence is absolutely fucking amazing. 
Like that's that took some planning, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They had uh, fifteen hundred extras out in Mexico City, all costumed up, Day of the Dead. Apparently, uh, we'll see if we can put a link to it in the show notes. Uh, but CBS uh, ran a story. Mexico City actually gave the production twenty million dollars in incentives to shoot there and make Mexico City appear, you know, fun, <laughs> non dangerous. Apparently, they've you know they've had some crime problems. So they want to bring in some tourism. So to bring in tourism, they have um, James Bond blow up a building, <laughs> a helicopter crash, killing. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't really understand that, but you know, hey, this is uh, it's a movie business. No, it, it is a, is an amazing opening shot that lasts forever. And oh yeah, what you know, just the the amount of blocking and I, I don't know, it's it's it, it makes me speechless that they pulled this off. Should we ruin how the shot is? Should we? Should we? No, I, I think just just go see it and and you tell me where you see the cuts because I think I found one. Okay, we got to spoil her a little, just a little, little, little bit. All right, all right, all right. All right, okay. So the opening shot is not actually done in one shot. It, it is, looks like it. it. It it does. It's really well done. But it is CGI blended in a couple of spots. Now, I haven't been able to figure out exactly every single spot. But what I do know is the first shot is done on a techno crane until they walk into the building, the and hotel. It, and it pans away from them. There's a cut there. Yeah, and that hotel is actually on a... It's a location, but it's on a different street in Mexico City. So when they go in the hotel, that's a real hotel within the lobby. When they go in the room, that's on a set in Pinewood. And when he goes outside of the room, that's back in Mexico City on location again <laughs> with a techno crane. And that's a CGI wall. Uh, you can, if you get the bond, uh, the, the blood book he sweat, was talking about. Yeah, you get the book. You can actually see the huge techno crane they have set up on a scaffolding on on the rooftops. Now, when I say a scaffolding on the rooftops, rooftops are uneven here. So they have a scaffolding. It looks like how how man how big was that scaffold? Like fucking uh, football it, field, two football fields. Yeah, it looked like at least a hundred yards, at least. Yeah, it is. It is amazing. Well, you see the shot in the film. Like they shot that. That's that's real. I mean, it's got CGI paste moments in there, but they shot that. Daniel Craig's got a swagger when he's walking out, dude. He just. That scene when he's walking down, I was just like, "Oh my god!" I have, n- I don't think I've ever seen an actor portray Bond with so much confidence, and he, man, he just sold me. It made me so happy. This whole sequence made me so happy. And what about that helicopter, dude? Fucking helicopter is a Bond movie. Oh, that helicopter sequence is awesome, dude. It's like going upside down, doing barrel rolls. We get the zero zero gravity moment where it goes up and it can't, and then it starts falling back down. I just love how Bond is just, like, throwing people out the windows, too. He's just like, boop, kick you out, boop, kick you out. And then he takes the helicopter and flies it home. <laughs> oh, but, okay. I can't, we can't talk all positive things about this movie, but, cause, dude, this song, The Writing's on the Wall by Sam Smith, one of the worst Bond songs ever. Yeah, that's not one of my favorites. It but. is bad. So then we're back in London. <laughs> I did like the opening sequence, though. Did you like the title with the octopuses or the octopi? And it's interesting. I'm not really sure what it all means. Well, you know, Spectre. They haven't. You know, their logo is an octopus. Some of it was kind of weird, like the one the tentacles going around the babe. Yeah, I. Yeah, it's a. It's a. You know, it's a James Bond open. 
it's just a shame the song's not very good, though. It's very disappointing, man. You can't, because I, I like to ride around my car, listen to some James Bond music, you know? So then we set up <laughs> that... This is like, no comment, we're moving on. Bond is in trouble because he, he should not have been in Mexico City and blowing up buildings and stealing helicopters. So he gets in trouble again. So he's in trouble, and we find out that old M, what's her name? Judy Dench. Judy Dench has sent him a message that said, find this guy, kill him, pay attention to the funeral. So Bond is doing what his old boss has told him to do. She's on to something, so he's going to follow it out. But Judy Dench's uh, M character, now when she gives Bond's mission through this videotape, we don't find out about it until a little bit later on. The first time I saw this, I I didn't like it, but the second time I saw it, I didn't really have a problem with it. It just kind of came out of nowhere the first time, but then the yeah. second time I saw it it, it, it it sort of makes sense. It does. Like, the first viewing, there's so much in this film, and there's so many characters. It's a, it's a, really a lot that they have in this film, because like, they're building up this real big relationship between the Dr. Swan character and Bond. They have this love story going on, while we're also introducing Blofeld, and then there's all this stuff going on with MI6. So there's all these all these subplots that are going right. on within the Spectre plot. It's a lot to take in in the movie. Uh, the first viewing, yeah, this Judy Dench thing, just totally. I was like, what is going on here? Why is that stupid? But second viewing, you got to make some shortcuts here. You can't. I mean, you know, it is a Bond movie, and it also makes sense that I don't know. It makes sense that she would send him to kind of uncover this organization. Well, it makes sense that. It was something that she uncovered before the events of of Skyfall started. So she made this tape saying, "Okay, if I'm killed, go kill this guy, and you and then figure out what's going on because there's something up with him. Who's the one agent that she has that she knows will go rogue?" That is kind of James Bond's thing. Like even when like uh, he's introduced to the C character, and there's a real funny cunt joke in there. Where he's like, yeah, no, I'll just, I'll just call you C. Bond's character, he's just like so rogue that even, even C's like, oh yeah, I heard good things about you. Mostly good things. You know, there's some of the bad things like you, you know, blowing up huge amounts of buildings and helicopter stealing that you just did in Mexico City, you dick. <laughs> Bond is kind of a shitty employee, you know? He gets the job done, but, He you doesn't know. ask for permission a lot. Yeah, I don't know about his methods all the time. Because, you know, he did steal that helicopter... It, and he didn't seem like he too much cared about whether that helicopter was going to crash and all those people. And that's giant open square there. No, but man, this movie has some of the greatest action scenes. Like, eye candy out the wazoo. Yeah, it does. But they're fi- some of them are filmed really weird, too. Like, they're filmed differently. Not all of them have the focus on the action. It does in the first one. But then there's that car chase later on with Dave Batista. Yeah. And Bond. And Bond, like, so much emphasis is put on Bond on the cell phone with Money Penny, Which is hilarious. Yeah, it's really weird. And then he's also got that little joke with the, uh, what was it, like the Fit or whatever, the small little like electric car that gets out in front yeah, of him. Like a, the, the, the old, old man. man. Yeah. To me, that was like a Roger Moore callback moment in the movie. Because, you know, Roger Moore always had like those funny, yeah. like, you know, I don't know, Steven Spielberg uses them all the time where like, Oh, we have this big set piece, and then there's some random person vacuuming their house, and then somebody comes through and takes out half their house, and they're like, oh, my gosh. Right. I, but I was vacuuming. Now I've got to clean up all well, this mess. Also, too, it takes the – I like it because it's, it's Bond's not really worried about this chase. This chase is not a sweat to Bond. He's going to get away. 
So he's on the phone with Money Penny, and then like he'll hold on just a second, and then he'll do some big stunt thing, and then he'll be like, all right, I'm back. Not all his gadgets work. That was pretty. It's kind of, I don't know. That action scene had some real funny comic moments in it, which I appreciated. But not all of them are done that way. I no. appreciate that one. I don't know that one. That one to me was very confident Bond. Yes, exactly. Like he's got this under control. It's just yeah. one dude and a jaguar. Fuck him. Yeah, yeah. his, his jaguar does not have fire. Mine does. <laughs> so Bond goes to the funeral. Before we talk, Monica Bellucci. This scene where he first shows up at the funeral. We have our bad guy right there. And there's one thing I really no- noticed a lot the second time watching the film is Mendez playing with depth of field. Yeah. First time you see Monica Bellucci, and you just get that slow rack to the back of Christoph Waltz's head. He's looking at him. He's like, you're familiar. He, he knows him, but he doesn't know for sure he knows him. Yeah, I loved that, man. And that's it, a constant thing where, like, he plays a lot with the shadows. They play a lot with the cinematography and the shadows and the depth of field in this movie. And it's really smartly done. Yeah. You know, it's just one of those things where, like, it helps you get into the, the mindset of the character, which you don't see a lot in a Bond movie. But that's why you get Sam Mendes on board and, man, decent screenwriters and boom. The bedroom scene that follows... Oh my god! Okay, we we definitely got to talk Monica Bellucci here. Well, it it always it always trips me out in Bond movies that it doesn't matter if the woman's husband just got killed or was dead a couple of days ago. It doesn't matter that Bond just broke into her house and shot two people. Well, see, dude, he was doing the gallant thing there. All he has to do is walk towards them as they're telling him no. Start taking their clothes off while he's asking them spy questions, breathing down their face. They will sleep with him. When a woman tells you that, you know, hey, this guy spent more time with with that Spectre organization than with me, and Bond's like, well, that man's that a, a fool. fool. Well, I can tell you that I don't trust you. Well, then you have impeccable instincts. If you don't leave now, we'll die together. I can think of worse ways to go. Then you're obviously crazy, Mr. Bond. James Bond. Dude, kill it, Bond. Go get him, dude. Go get him. Look at you, you but smooth you, but, operator. You, know, you want to look at your son and go, that would really get you put in jail. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that is, that's a good, we should definitely put that disclaimer. If you're under the age of 18 and you see a Bond movie, please don't act like Bond. <laughs> You'll get charged with date rape. But, man, I, I do love that. When he's got her up against the mirror, he just takes her shirt clear off, man. It's just he's like, just talking. Just talking to her about, like, what was your husband into? She's like, you're going to die. I don't care. I know, like, Monica Bellucci probably hates that the distinction that she's the oldest Bond girl. Who cares? She's still hotter than half the Bond women, man. Dude, like, oh my goodness. That next shot after they're they're finished and he's getting dressed and she's in the lingerie in the bed, you're just like, my lord. Oh, dude, I totally missed it the first time. But you, do you hear him where he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll call Felix. He's got a Felix Leiter name drop. His buddy at the CIA dro- yeah. dropped a little Felix Leiter reference there. I like that. He's like, hey, I'll... I'll get Felix to come look after you, Monica Bellucci. Don't worry. We're not going to kill you off. We need you for the sequel. So, yeah, she doesn't die. No. And that's kind of it. She's out of the movie. Yep. He leaves, goes to this meeting. Yeah, he goes to the Spectre meeting, which 
I love that scene. I didn't. I thought it was really awkward the first time I saw it. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, like when he first comes into the room, I didn't really like how it was portrayed like a a business, a bunch of heads of like corporations and governments, and they're just sitting down at a table talking about murdering and killing people. Like, yeah, you know, it's it's no thing. We yeah, we got the slavery well, the, under control. The murdering and killing people is part of what they have to do. <laughs> To, to take rule the world. over this global initiative of technology. <laughs> I guess the thing is, is, I always liked it, you know, like in like Thunderball, where you have Spectre, they're all meeting around, and Blofeld just hits the button, and number five gets fried in their chair, and they get <laughs> taken away, and it's just like, oh, the scene that slowly, slowly starts to unravel into the Bond tropes, and the minute Christoph Waltz comes in, and sits down, and how creepy this dude is. Oh, I thought it was brilliant. I loved this. I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's good. He just nods to people, and they, they come over, and he whispers. He whispers to them. Tell uh, them to say this. Uh, and I love the the guy that's going to take the place of the assassin, and how he, he explains how great he's going to be. And then Batista comes in, and he's Christoph Waltz is like, what's your credentials to take his place? And then he just kills him. And they're like, okay, that'll work. I thought he killed him too, but later in the movie, he says that the guy didn't die. Did for he... a few seconds. Oh, did he say for yeah. a few seconds? Oh, see, I'm missing. So I gotta see this a few, third he, time He pushes now. his eyes in, and then there's a few seconds. Okay, because I thought he snapped his neck in that scene. I yeah. thought he po- poked his eyes but out and then notice, snapped his neck. But what I think is cool about that scene is that Blofeld doesn't answer. He doesn't say anything. What he answers after that is he points out that Bond's up there. So he doesn't say, good job, big guy with muscles. He says, welcome, James. And then everybody's after Bond. Well, this was great, because he was putting on a show for Bond. He's like, hey, look. So he basically gave the guy the job guy. and said, okay, you have the job, go get that guy. Dave Batista, former WWE champion. What a great henchman, dude. He has one word of dialogue in the entire film. But his presence is constantly felt. Oh, yeah, he was good. And of course, that's where we get the uh, the Rome car chase that we talked about after that. But and the big cha- train fight later. Hold off, hold off. We're not there yet. We're going to see Mr. White. Mr. White's character was from you know uh, Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace. He's the dickhead that got away. And now we find out that Quantum was really just a group. For Spectre, they were—I guess—they were working with or for. I don't know if they're just an umbrella organization. It's like oh, it's like a line of dialogue that's dropped, and it's never brought up again. I do appreciate them tying everything together, though. Yeah, because if there were two evil organizations controlling everything, it seems like well, you know, if you, you guys are going to have some issues and some well, I mean, resource also, problems here. Also, too, like. You know, you're you're in this world where there's there's constantly these bad guys that are doing all this really expensive stuff. <laughs> um, yes, they are. It it makes sense that there's this super organization that's being funded by like that's got ties with governments and that has access to money that can then fund these smaller organizations that are going to do stuff. That, I, yeah, it totally makes sense to me. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad that they, they brought everything together. And Mr. White is our character that his introduction to the movie, I don't know, he's just he's brought in to pay fan service to the previous installments and to get us to his daughter. 
who is Doctor Swan, our big Bond. Well, no, I, I think he's. I think he is used though. I think he's used to show you that. Do you think okay, so? Well, he's a bad guy. He, he basically, I'm not as bad as this crazy dude. Oh yeah, that's true. I like, forgot about you, that. If you think I'm bad, he's worse, and he scares me. <laughs> yeah, that is true. They they did set that up because he was dying of some kind of what did they poison him with? I forget what it was. Z- Valium or something like that. Yeah, it sounds like Valium, but it's not. It's different letters. Yeah, and it's like he's gonna slowly die. Right. It's and like he, eating him alive. He ends up shooting himself. Which is re- later replayed back at the evil Spectre organization at, near the end of the movie. Why does Bond get so mad about that? He doesn't want his girlfriend to see her dad die. I know, but he just, he got, like, that's he, the most emotional he, he, he gets. Because that's the first person he's cared about that much. I don't know, it kind of confused me because he got I, nah, so... It, it made sense to me because she was so... She didn't want to know about her dad. Like she did, she was very adamant about she doesn't want to know about this. And then now Blofeld's about to just play her dad killing himself on this big screen TV and make her watch it. And Bond knows it's going to hurt her. Bond knows it's going to. It's not something she should see. So he doesn't want her to see it. Really? Do you think that's all it was? Yeah. Ah oh, man, maybe I was just reading too much into that because. Okay, so the next scene, he shows up at, and meets Doctor Swan at this clinic. And their conversation they have, he just very bluntly is like, yeah, no, I'm an assassin. Um, I was in the room when your dad shot himself. And he, he tells her all this information, just kind of like a but dick. But he doesn't, he doesn't know her then. I don't and know. The, His reaction they, seemed a little They extreme. spend some time together. She gets drunk, and he sees like how much her dad's life has affected her. And he starts to really like her. Okay, so the snow scene in well, – this is, this is Austria, right? Yeah. And they're on top of the mountain. This is the first time we've had Craig in snow. Oh, man, I, I love the snow. Like, all, all snow, snowy mountains and Bond films <laughs> are just amazing. Like, Dave Bautista shows up with some Spectre goons, and they steal. Well, they kidnap, not steal. You can't steal a person. Uh, they, they kidnap you know what's Dr. Cool? Do you know, you know what's cool about this sequence? I'm going to tell you what's cool about this sequence. Q shows up? Q. Q gets a little action moment. It's not a huge action moment. Shows up but in the field. But he gets away. And he orders Bond a drink. That's right. He orders him some frou-frou shake. He ordered his drink right, dude. He did. He had a vodka martini shaken, not stirred. Oh, we don't serve alcohol. Wah, wah, wah. He'll have a green, shitty-looking drink. I love Bond. Just pour it down the toilet. We'll cut out the middleman. Yeah, that was a great line. That was so good, man. There's also like a really good like moment, like right after that, where like the security guards start hounding him, and he just beats the shit out of one real quick, and then he looks uh, at the he other looked, one. I love. He looks at the other and stay. <laughs> it's like a little dog. Stay. And it was great. Is how how forceful he is, and that guy just kind of like just backs. He's like, I don't. What should I do? I don't know. I'm telling you, man. I love this movie. Like, yeah, it is a good movie, dude. It is really well done. I don't understand the hate. And oh, th- I think I think if anybody hates this movie, it's it's the Dark Knight Rises syndrome. They went in before they even saw it and said they were going to hate it. So Spectre was a uh, Spectre. Uh, Skyfall was a huge, huge hit. Like mm-hmm. a lot of people loved it. Yes, probably out of outside of Casino Royale, probably. Craig's probably, yeah, it's probably his most popular Bond, I would say, outside of Casino Royale. Probably. I think people wanted Skyfall 2. There are story threads that are carried throughout this movie, but this does. This is more of a Bond film. This 
is not Skyfall. But what's wrong with that? I mean, it's it's the next. Oh no! It's the next proper evolution in that character. Yeah, well, I I think people just wanted more of the same. Well, go back and watch Skyfall. Yeah, this is this is this is Bond after Skyfall. This is this is how Bond acts after the events in Skyfall. Yeah, that's why I don't understand. Like, if a fan of this franchise, all the negative complaints that I've heard. Well, think about how cool it is for people that are fans of this franchise to get these movies that are, like, telling a continuous story. Like, that's really cool. Actually, a lot of Bond fans don't like that. I, that does Why? Well, because it, it kind of fucks up the continuity. Because none of the Bond films ever really had a continuity. I, dude, I'm just... I, look, I'm just repeating just what for people the, have just said. Just for the record, this is not on visual. You can't... I'm giving him a... What the... Look. <laughs> Well, I, okay, so it, it's it, the modern thing. Come on, everybody's doing trilogies now. Everybody's doing universes now. You got the DC universe. You got the Marvel universe. I, I love it. I loved that when they okay, they've got a new Bond. They've got Daniel Craig, and they said, you know what? Let's do the Daniel Craig Bond universe. If this movie had come out and it was not Spectre, it was not tied into all the other movies. They came up with some new bad guy. And they would complain that it's not some, it's not Spectre, it's not Blofeld. When are we going to get Blofeld? That's the mentality. Is they're going to complain no matter what you do. Well, I mean that's that you know that's true. I mean you can't ever get away from that. But I mean going into we'll go back to you can't make everyone happy after the Dark Knight. You had the Joker. You had this awesome Batman movie that everybody, you know, was just like, "Oh, this is great!" And then you have the Dark Knight Rises, and it's, "Oh, this organization has been behind so much of this other stuff," and it's a good movie. Oh, people went in already ready to hate it because they knew it wasn't the Dark Knight. Yeah, I think a little bit of that happened here. I am positive. The Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises. They feel different. They have the same characters and everything, but they feel different. They're different It's a films. natural evolution in that character. Yeah. Okay, in Skyfall and in The Dark Knight, we have a huge... We have a character death, a supporting character dying that leaves a lasting impact, not only for that film, but for the one to follow. Right. That makes sense to me. I want that to carry over. Well, you don't want... I mean, just think about how, how lame... We'll go back to the Batman movies. Think about how lame The Dark Knight Rises would be if Batman was still at the same mental and emotional state he was in Batman Begins. Like, all of the crap that's happened to him up until that point has not changed him at all. It wouldn't make sense. It wouldn't be realistic. Right. It would be like, hey, did you guys forget what happened in that last movie? Right. So by the time you get to The Dark, the dark Knight Rises, he is a completely different person. His body is wounded. His mind is different. He's been in hiding for eight years. When you get to Spectre, it's the exact opposite. Bond has overcome his childhood demons. He's overcome his physical ailments from being shot and knocked off a train. He's earned the respect of Q and Money Penny. Even M to a certain the new M to a certain degree, as much as he can't stand him going rogue and knows it's gonna get him in trouble, he does trust him. Oh yeah. So you're you're looking at a character that knows he's earned respect, knows he's at the top of his game, and knows he's right. So you're seeing the James Bond that you you want. Dude, you don't have to argue with me, man. I I I agree. I why people hate on something that's so amazing, I don't I don't understand. 
honestly, I think it's just, I don't think they're actually hating on the movie. I think they're just hating to hate. We've right. had this conversation, and I think, I do believe there is a, there is a mentality of online film guys, film, you know, people that want to get online and complain about movies. When you complain, people will listen. So here go, here go some of the complaints that have been sent to me by people personally. All right, we'll, 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 we'll both do this. Oh, oh you got, you oh, got, I got some too. Yeah, you, you I got, got, you got some too. Some we're, okay, we're gonna take a, a momentary, momentary break in the show here, and no, uh, no, we're, go we're, ahead and read yours. We're gonna, we're gonna look it through here. It won't take me long. It won't All right. take me long. I know exactly where to go. All right, number one, Daniel Craig looked fatigued and ready to get every shot done and move on. Uh, could not disagree, disagree with more. that more. He looked confident. He looked older. He looked like a badass. He looked more mature. Okay, you know what I didn't like? Worst Bond look I think I've seen Craig in. What was that stupid fucking toboggan he was wearing, man? Dude, the suits, though. God, man, can Daniel Craig wear a suit? Man, especially in that white tux. All right, number two. Waste of Monica Bellucci and Christoph Waltz. Didn't give Christoph Waltz enough good material. I guess I understand this one a little bit more, but... I didn't need more Monica Bellucci. She was in there. She served her purpose, you know. And Christoph Waltz's character, yeah, he's he's not in the movie as much as I would like, but that's okay. I mean, like, here's the thing: this is Blo- this is Blofeld's first movie. Blofeld is not going away here. He's not going to be in one film, right? And I think, like, if you'd have had Blofeld show up in the opening of the movie, by the time of the end of the movie, you'd be like, okay, he should have caught him by now. Yeah, and. The- I don't understand that complaint because Blofeld always shows up at the end of the movie. Like when Blofeld's the main bad, you know, you only live twice. When does Blofeld show up? You don't he's see him the until super villain. You shouldn't see him until like, like the last twenty minutes until Boom. he's revealed. Ha ha ha! I'm behind it all. Yeah, yeah. It shouldn't be in your face the whole time. I got. I think I need to watch it again after rewatching the other Craig Bonds. I think I like it, but. Some of the things get on my nerves, and it's becoming a insistence by filmmakers or the studio of having the mystery villain only to be a classic villain. Of course, we all knew that Waltz was going to be Blofeld. It's not a mystery, then. Okay, I have a, I have a serious problem with that. Criticizing the reveal when, when Christoph Waltz, he has uh, Daniel Craig strapped up into a torture device, and he goes over to him and he tells him, that he's taken his mother's maiden name, and his name is Ernstoff Blofeld. What is wrong with that? I had no problem with that at all. Well, what critics, I think they've totally missed the point here, have been saying that, like, well, why are you saying that to Bond? Like, he doesn't fucking know that. You're just putting that in there for the audience. Well, no, well, no shit. Bond, Bond doesn't react to it. I think you're, you're missing the entire point. He, he's just telling him that because he hates his father so much. It's just right. another fact that he's telling Bond. Yeah. It's not a huge revelation to Bond. It's there for us, the audience. Right. I don't understand why that's a ding on the movie. He's, yeah, you're right. He's not telling it to Bond as if, ha, 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 you didn't know that my name is now Blofeld. But I've read professional reviewers where they have, they have criticized the film for that reveal, like that's it's an obvious moment in the movie. It's Walt is reacting to what Bond calls him. Oh yeah, when he says his name, a Franz Oppenhauser yeah. or whatever, his and name he, is. he's like, no, 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 and he walks over and he's like, no, I'm this. 
because I re- I'm renouncing the guy that helped raise you. It's not a moment for Bond to be like, oh, your name is... Bond would have already known his mother's maiden name. Uh, okay, so let's go. Let's get into the whole thing, what everybody has a problem with right now, since we're talking okay, about the it. the picture that you see, it's in Skyfall, right? The picture, but it's burned off. No, no, it was, I don't think you actually see it in Skyfall. It was from Skyfall. Am, am I wrong or am I, am I making this up? And when he's in the house and he opens up that book, oh, doesn't dude, it show it for a second? I, man, I have to go back and look. Or am I just remembering that wrong? Because there's that moment that. where he like opens something up and he closes it. Like, I'm not going to look at it. And I could have swore that picture was right there. It may have been. I, I don't think they would have planned that far ahead, though. Well, anyway. But go ahead. You see a pit. Bond gets a picture back from Skyfall that's burned. And there's one person that's burned out of the picture. It's little Bond, a dude, a man, and a burned-off picture of a little kid. You can't tell who the other little kid is. It's little Blofeld. Well, turns out <laughs> that... There was this psycho who had a dad who, after Bond's parents were killed, they took Bond in, and Bond being like, you know... Super awesome. Super awesome. The dad was like, oh, this is awesome. Like, I've got a kid that I can play football with, go fishing and hunting. And he can pick up chicks like crazy. And the, my, you know, like, Blofeld looks like a little, you know, he's a little sissy. He's like... He looks like a Christoph, young Christoph Waltz. I don't want to go fishing, Dad. <laughs> can we stay and play on the computer? Part of the reason Bond ends up an orphan is that Christoph Waltz kills his father, and Bond has nowhere else to go. Well, it's not his father. It's his adopted well, his father. his adopted father. Yeah, his So step-dad. that puts, you know, it's like an unbreakable. The good guy and the bad guy are born at the same time. The stepfather is dead, so he ends up going through all the stuff that leads him to MI6, where Blofeld fakes his own death and starts planning to take over the world. Okay, I really like the theme of the fathers in this one. Like, the first one kind of had mother themes, and, like, Bond and M, they have this mother relationship. Yeah. I, I kind of like that shadowing mirror thing in the sequel. I thought that was cool. I, I, see, I, didn't, I don't see the problem with this reveal at all. And they have a problem with that, and then I guess the first time I saw it, I was like, why does he have to be his brother? But watching it a second time, the second viewing, watching it start to finish. See, it made total sense to the me. The themes are very clearly stated throughout. Like, yeah. The only thing, and also you're playing with you're playing with the idea, and it's and like I said, it's classic storytelling. This is the the villain that is equal to Bond. They are shadows of each other. I don't see why that's a problem. That's like in every classic story ever. I think it basically goes down to the simple fact that Blofeld's motivations for getting back at Bond are kind of silly because. He's got this huge speech about the cuckoo bird. Well, see, it, but I don't. Think, I love how he tells it too because it's funny. But see, I don't think like Blofeld's motivations in taking over the world has been to get back at Bond. No, I don't think that either. I, I think, think Bond has just that. been in the way. Yeah, and Blofeld has made it hard on him. <laughs> and I think it's really cool, like going back and watching these movies. It's like okay, we're not watching every mission that Bond has ever gone on. We're looking at the ones that. Right. He interfered in Blofeld's affairs with. You know right. what I mean? Like, there was that interference, and it kind of ties them together. Like, the, that's why we're seeing these missions that Bond's going on. Right. I think that's kind of cool. Because, I mean, yeah, like you said, you're not. they haven't made a movie about everything that Bond has ever done. Yeah, because I'm sure he does some boring shit. I mean, right. I mean super I'm, spies don't get to do cool stuff all the time. I'm sure he's had to go, like, just, you know, grab a laptop from somebody and just go stay and then take the laptop and walk off. <laughs> 
But, you know, in the four movies that have been made, those are the encounters that he came really close to Spectre. It, you know, not only is Bond figuring out that, oh, crap, this guy is the main guy, but they have taken over MI6. And now MI6 is literally working in the shadows to stop the bad guys who have now taken over their own place. I know what C stands for now. Careless. Uh, yeah, the, I, I don't know. I don't really like that guy, man, that uh, Andrew Scott. Yeah. He was, he was, man, he played a really good, like, slimy douche. Oh, I love yeah. it. You can just see, like, he just, he's playing like you can just imagine every government agent being. Like, you're just like, ah. You're a cucky little bastard, aren't you? I'll take that as a compliment. And in light of the new information I've given him, he's decided to close down the double O program with immediate effect. You don't know what you're doing. It's not personal. It's the future. And you're not. You're a cocky little bastard, aren't you? <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. I wouldn't. This isn't over yet. I'm sure I'm right, because I've managed to weasel my way into some position. He's just got, like, such an airy, like, just an arrogant Britishness about him that just... He's like, you pompous dick. It's not even Britishness to me. It's just that... What's well, proper... It's proper dickishness, you know? Well, it's that way of, It's that way of, like... And you see it a lot in businesses where people have reached a level of success without really accomplishing anything... But by God, they've got an ego about it. Oh, and M is constantly like, you haven't accomplished anything to really be that egotistical about. And he's like, oh, but it's the future. So, so we got our, our complain with complainers out of the way. Complain but it sounds like the biggest with complaint is that they have reinvented Blofeld in a way. But it seems like uh, that connection between Blofeld and Bond, it seems like that really breaks the movie for some people. You know, I don't, I don't get it. Doesn't kill it for me, brother. Well, you know, you I mean you're always playing with dynamite when you're when you're doing a, a character that's as beloved as Bond, and and you bring in any of the old characters. You're always going to be playing with. Ooh, are they going to accept what we do? Are they going to accept our interpretation of this? I mean, we saw what happened with JJ when he brought in Khan. I I don't know. I I know how you feel. Yeah, that that I feel a little bit different about. Like Blofeld, I, uh, I thought Christoph Waltz was perfectly cast, and the if you if you look at his costume, the wardrobe they have him in, and how it sort of mimics the old Blofeld costume, I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, where it's got kind of like uh, he's got kind of like that Chinese Japanese like suit on. Yeah, it's. It, I liked how high his uh, his pants were too, because he wasn't wearing any socks. It made it look like he was almost wearing capris. That's a really... And he gets his scar. Oh, he does get his... Uh... Now, that is very specific to uh, Blofeld from You Only Live Twice, which Donald Pleasance was playing. That scar is nicely... and It's fresh in this movie, you know, because he, he gets it in this film. Right. Bond gives him that scar. Hold up. We got to go through one action, one, action, uh, <laughs> one action scene. I want to get to that snow... Uh, pla Bond on the plane chasing... Mr. Hinks and Dr. Doctor Swan. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure what Bond's plan was, but Bond, Bond was, uh, he gets to a point. Oh, he totally took the John McClane approach on this one. Is. Yeah, and he starts 
trying to swat these uh, these vehicles down with his airplane. He's I, I guess with the plan to hit them. I think he's just planning to stop them any way he can. But man, it ends with one of the best set pieces in the movie. Man, when that so the plane comes down, loses its wings, loses its landing gear. And well, I think originally he was hoping to just fly next to them, shoot the driver, and stop the car. But it was bulletproof like glass. That. At that point, he's like, oh, crap, now I've got to improvise. And Dave, uh, Dave Batista's just like, oh, yeah, motherfucker, I got a gun, too. <laughs> and just shoots like a, at least like five or six gigantic holes in this plane. Bond's like, oh. But it, it's cool because they actually they rigged that, uh, that plane up on cables to swoop down that low. They actually did that on set. Now That's they, pretty amazing. They removed cables and stuff, again, with CGI, but what in the hell, man? That is crazy. Who does that? Yeah, most movies would have just CGI'd the plane. <laughs> I, man, and I, I really like how it ends with the plane coming through the barn. I guess we're in the spoiler, so you've seen the movie, so you know that the plane has lost its wings, it's lost its tailwind, so it's just the fuselage, basically a giant sled, and he aims it down the side of this mountain to go through the barn and hit these guys right as they're making this turn. <laughs> Man, it is awesome. And you think Dave Batista's out. But his hand twitches. He comes back. Let's you know what? Let's just let's just go to the From Russia with Love train fight. Oh, I do wanna I wanna bring up something real quick. The ring? No. Talking about Swan. Uh to me she was a very interesting Bond girl because when Bond first goes to her and says, look, I'm here to protect you, she kicks him out. He steals an airplane, saves her life. She blames him for bringing them there. She's got a point, though. Uh, well, she does. She's very strong-willed. She takes him to the place after she figures out, okay, this guy's cool. He's with, you know, she tells him it's Spectre. She takes him to where her dad says to take him. She gets a little drunk. Normally, at this point, Bond would have... Been in bed with her. Oh, yeah, he would totally have taken advantage of that. She told him no. She told him he was, she was going to kill him So, if he messed with her. Bond fell in the pussy trap. Eddie Murphy told you <laughs> that the one that will get you is the one that says no. She made him wait. She made him wait to the train. That's one of the best comic moments in the entire movie. That was so perfectly cut together. So perfectly. They have this huge... Dave Batista and Bond just have one of the most best Bond fights. It's just so good. It's like and she's involved too. She she gets knocked around. She she saves the day. Oh, dude, when she gets second. slapped by Dave Batista, man, I oh, was, he just nails her. Oh my god, dude, that was hardcore. I I think I screamed in a, like a little girl in the theater. I was Both like, oh, times you did. Oh, oh my gosh, she's so beautiful, and you're such a big man. Don't hit her, Bond. Get him. And, dude, Bond is really helpless in this fight. He's a, Yeah, Batista has the upper hand. She shows up, shoots him, and then that gives Bond the, the chance to like, tie his foot off and push the kegs out the window. Did he say shoot or shit? Shit. He did say shit? I thought he said shit the first time, and then the second time I thought he said shoot. And so I was like, man, that's really weird to have your main henchman in a Bond film. He's like, yes, my name is Mr. Hinks. My only, word of dialogue, my only line of dialogue is shoot. No, I think he goes, oh, shit. Ah, it was a good moment. I did kept expecting him to come back at the end, though. Because you don't see, like, you see him go out the train, but you don't see him, like, you don't see him actually go out the train and well, fall I'm, down or I'm anything. I'm curious. He just goes out the rail car. 
I told you this the other day. Um, when he was first cast, the rumor rumor mill was that he was cast as Jaws. So I'm curious if he'll return in the next movie with some prosthetics from being knocked out of the train. That would be terrible. I hope they do not do that. I don't. I don't want to see. I don't want to see Jaws come back. Jaws. Jaws has, has got his place, and that's the spot who loved me and Moonraker. And we're gonna leave Jaws right there. And we're not going to take him. Sam Mendez, if you're listening to this podcast, and I know you're not, but if you are, don't put Jaws, Craig's fifth Bond film. Don't do that. Spectre, I thought, was the perfect mix between campy Bond and extreme serious Bond. Like, I thought it hit in that midline perfect for me personally. I just want them to keep this tone for their next movie. And the comic moment he he was talking about was, after they throw Batista out of the train... She says, so, what do we do now? And cut to... Make it out! She finally gives in. Oh, man, it was good. And then when they they go and Bond knows that she's about to see her dad die, he loves her because she made him wait. Made him wait like three days. And for Bond, that's a long time. We get this really, we get the really cool reveal of the evil secret lair. That leads to the biggest explosion ever caught on film, as you told me earlier today. Yes, yeah, okay, yeah, that's right. So the evil specter base that blows up the movie uh, at the end of the movie is the biggest explosion ever on film, ever. You know, uh, at when, this you, point. when you first said that, hey, you know, the, the explosion at the end of the movie is the biggest explosion ever to be... I thought you were talking about the, the demolishing of MI6. Oh, well, no, I think most of that was CGI, because that's in London... They can't actually blow the building up. In. Well, you know, a lot of times they'll they'll find buildings that they're about to demolish, and then they'll film it. Yeah. So they're on that train that they got into the big fight they slept with, and they just get kind of... They're out in the middle of the desert, hanging out. Rose Royce comes up, takes them to evil, evil bad guy lair. I think my favorite... One of my favorite callbacks was the uh, guy, the waiter that shows up with the silver tray, <laughs> and Bond's just like... Oh, uh, what the fuck do you want, dude? And he's like, oh, okay. And he gives him the gun. Careful, it's loaded. Oh my gosh, it was so good, man. I was just like, you know, that's that's a nice that's a nice little callback right there. Nice little moment. Yeah, I forget which Sean Connery one they do that in. I think it was Doctor No, but yeah, there's one where they he comes out with the tray and they do that little bit. Then this one we get this the huge Christoph Waltz. Now he is coming into the movie. Now we're getting Blofeld. We get the cool meteorite monologue. Bond's like, yes, we're meant to be impressed by the meteorite. The, the, the whole bad guy, bad guy layer is in this meteorite uh, crater, well, he, right? He's trying to give the, the meteorite spill as something like it's an unstoppable force. It's been traveling for so long and it, nothing could stop it. And then Bond said, but eventually it stopped. <laughs> it stopped right here, <laughs> right where I am. Information is all. Is it not? For example, you must know by now that the double O program is officially dead. (laughs) Which leads me to speculate exactly why you came. So, James, why did you come? I came here to kill you. And I thought you came here to die. Well, it's all a matter of perspective. Bond's always got the right thing to say. Oh yeah, he's you know he's 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 always on the edge, man. He's he's got his witty comeback, his one-liner in his pocket. 
Uh, it's just, I really like, man, this this script, I thought it had so many good lines in it. Uh, you're a kite, Mr. Bond, dancing. Oh, wait, you're a, yeah, you're a kite, Mr. Dan- Bond, dancing, dancing in, in a hurricane. Man. I thought that was great. And I, then that drill to the brain thing was painful to watch. Yeah, it kind of had a weird, uh, uh, it reminded me of, um, what's that Dustin Hoffman movie with the dentist? Is it safe? A uh, marathon man. Uh, Lawrence Olivier is like, he's got the drill. And he's just constantly asking Dust- Dustin Hoffman about, you know, he's just, he's, I think the only thing he says is, is it safe? And he just keeps repeating that over and over again. And Dustin Hoffman's like, I, yes, it's very safe. <laughs> but he's, he's strapped up in this, this chair, just like, and that's exactly what Bond is. How much is. coffee have you had? I've had a lot. Like, you know, it's like Goldfinger. He's trapped yeah. up in the chair with the cool little, he's got little drill bits. And he's drilling into certain parts of Br- Bond's brain. To make him forget... Well, first he he, Madden, uh, he, he takes Strong. away some of his balance as a punishment. He wants to make him forget about Doctor Snow Swan, whatever her name is, really Swan. hot chick. You know, it's like a punishment. You're going to die without. And he even says, like Blofeld says, it's a shame. The one girl that would would actually understand you, I'm going to make you forget. Dick line he threw out there. He's like, oh, that's a shame. And the whole time it's cool because he's he's trying to take the watch off, which is a callback to earlier in the movie where Q didn't even really tell him what what it would do. But well, he, he said it had said, a big alarm. He just said it it keeps the time and the alarm was loud or something yeah, like he, that. Yeah, something like that. It's got a loud alarm. Bond's trying to secretly set the alarm, and he gives the watch to Doctor Swan and says, "Tempest Fugit," and she's like, "What?" Time flies. She gets it. She throws it. It blows up, and it gives Blofeld the scar. Yes. See, I liked the scar origin in here. That was one thing that kind of bummed me out when you re- when he reveals that he's Blofeld. I was like, ah, oh, man, it just looks like a normal dude, man. He doesn't <laughs> look like a Bond villain. His face isn't messed up. And like two minutes later, boom. I was just like, oh, thank you. It's better because like now you know Blofeld's coming back. Well, yeah. Well, actually, I thought that. Actually, I thought this was the end of the movie. He takes care of Blofeld. He gets he gets out of the chair. They leave. Bond fucks up this this crater evil base. I mean, he destroys. I love it. how they're just standing there while that stuff blows up. <laughs> what does he do? He hits like one of the tanks. He shoots. He shoots one of the fuel tanks. Yeah, there's some kind of fuel tank, and like that one fuel tank explodes, like, and it explodes the other ones. Yeah, and it just goes up, man. But it is really. And then he cool steals he another helicopter. Shot. And just, you know, then you think about it, like, screenwriting-wise, just so that nobody would say, how does Bond know how to fly that helicopter? Duh, he stole one at the beginning of the movie. Well, he's James Bond. Come on, he should just know how to fly a helicopter. He knows how to fly jets and airplanes and... And then, come to find out, Blofeld's not dead. He shows up with the scar, kidnaps James Bond's love. That great... Oh, man, I love that scene. I don't want to say that the movie disappoints me here. But the movie does slow down a little bit for because man, dude, this end scene at the big evil lair is so spectacular, so oh, adrenaline I love, pumping. I love the end of the movie. I, I love it. And it goes to this third act, and it's I don't know. It's kind of like uh, Pacific Rim, you know, where they have that huge Hong Kong battle in Pacific Rim, where they fight all the monsters, and then they have the underwater battle. It's also cool, but it's not as cool as the middle battle. I don't know. I, I like it. Okay, I guess my main my main problem with it is that Swan's character tells Bond that she loves him when he is strapped up in that torture device. Right. It's a little unearned 
But I understand it's a Bond movie. We're not right. here for romance and all that other stuff. Like we're here for male fantasy enjoyment. Right. After that sequence, he meets up with M and Money Penny and right. all his people. They're, they're gonna go. They're, they're gonna go bring down C. Yeah, and then Swan's out there again, and she tells Bond like, "Oh, I can't do this. I can't go with you." And then she just kind of leaves. Bitch, you just told him you loved him like two days ago. But at the same time, now you're you're kind of arguing with yourself. At this point now, she realizes that, okay, she may have said she loves him, but it's a little unearned. She realizes it. She's like, this is not the life for me. I, I worked really hard to get away from this life. He can't. No, 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 no. Oh, wait a minute, wait. But her reasoning for leaving, though, is that she doesn't want that lifestyle. Right. She didn't have a problem with it when he was fucking that dude up on the train, and she almost died. Exactly. She didn't have a problem with it when he, he blew up that huge but building. But once she, got a, she had a chance to think about it, she does have a problem with it. So she leaves. Was well, it because her dad's story arc is done and she's just like, well, I got my connection with my daddy. I'm kind of done with you. You're a dick. Yeah, she's kind of at that point where she's like, I can, yeah, you know what? I wish they didn't do that because that makes me not, not like her character as much. It didn't bother me at all. Like, I totally saw her motivation. I guess I, 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 guess I can see the motivation. I just don't like it it just makes me dislike her a little bit and i don't want to dislike her i I, I like her but she just kind of leaves bond there in the middle of the street and it's like honey you're gonna like he's getting ready to go kill some people and stop the world from being terrible and ending and you're gonna tell this guy right before he's probably gonna go die yeah i don't want to be with you anymore He's, he's he could die here this may be the last time you ever see him you're gonna break his heart you're kind of a bitch kind of being a cold hearted bitch right here honey But he understood well, you know, he's James Bond. He's used to disappointment, I guess. And, you know, she's given him the chance. She's like, because he could have said, okay, I want to be with you too, so you guys go do what you got to do. I'm going to walk with her. And if he had done that, then when they kidnap her, he would have been there to stop them. I guess it bothered me. The, it didn't bother me the first time I watched it. It bothered me a little bit the second time I watched it. Did feel like an excuse for the screenwriters to separate her from Bond. Well, I really it's, wish. It's an excuse, but it's done well enough that it, there's a symbolicness to it too. Uh, yeah, it's just too flippy floppy for me. I just wish she would have been. She just would have stayed out because or it's stayed it's, on the sidelines. It's the, but it's bringing up the question of how much do you want to keep doing it? I mean, that's the the question that's asked throughout this movie. But they should have brought that in in the screenplay a little. This is what they were trying to do. They were trying to get her to go with Bond, so they could keep the Bond girl and they could keep their relationship. So they're trying to keep the dad in there. But then when that's done, after the the evil base scene, it seems like they don't know what to do there. You know what I nah, mean? Nah, see, I think she's she's giving him the choice to come with me or or go. But she's doing it in a way of, I know you're going to go. She already knows what he's going to do. I know, but he's getting ready to go save the world. Like, if he doesn't go, the world's well, I mean, going to end. I know it's a little unrealistic. Realistically, she would go back to her hotel room and wait to find out if he survived or not. I know. That's what I'm saying. That scene just kind of makes me hate her a little but bit, and a, I don't want it there. I don't want to hate her. It's a giant spy movie, and they're giving you this moment of letting him... It goes back to if he had chosen to say, look, M... I'm going to go with this girl. I really like her. Then when Blofeld and them show up to kidnap her, he would have been there to stop them. But it leaves him with the choice to... He gets to go through the building with the timer going off to save her. Another point. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing or something that I want to be negative about or even positive about because I don't know how I feel about it yet, 100%. The very end of this movie, when he's on that bridge, 
he makes the choice very clearly. Like, he could kill Blofeld mm-hmm. and go back to MI6, but he chooses not to kill Blofeld. Right. Which I don't have a problem with. A lot of but people now, got pissed about that. Now, uh, and then a, he goes with Swan. There's a callback. There's a callback at that moment where when M is talking to C earlier in the movie, and C says that men in the field with a license to kill is old, and M tells C that it is also a license not, not to kill. To kill. Blofeld was caught. Did you see the nasty break in his leg? No, I don't, I don't have a problem with that. What I have a problem with, though, is that after that scene, the Bond, he, he leaves with her. Right. He is choosing her over MI6. And he gets Aston Martin. Yep. Steals the car. And goes off into the sunset. Yes. Now, this, it kind of freaks me out a little bit because this feels like a send-off to Craig. It seems like they could set it up for an Honor Majesty Secret Service sequel. That's what I think they're doing. Or they're saying bye-bye, buddy. No, I think what what will happen next is the next movie will start with something happens and they need to call James Bond back into action. I just don't know how I feel about it. And only time that's one of these things where time's going to you know what I mean? I have enough faith in the direction they have taken these movies. Oh yeah, after, no, I do too. After you see the next movie, you'll say, I mean, I love the way Spectre ends." I don't disagree with you at all, because <laughs> I probably will, but like it just manages in so perfectly, and then when you see them together, it's just like, oh, I just love them. It's just, and then it's just so heartbreaking when he loses that, and you know he was happy. I can just already, I can foresee, I foresee this. Oh, look at that little little foreshadowing there. Yeah, it is. Oh man, <sighs> things to look forward to, people. Things Enjoy to look forward me. to. Together, we can rule the galaxy. Is uh, buddy and buddy. <laughs> <laughs> As director and editor. Oh, it's too late, and I know I've had enough coffee because I'm laughing at those. Uh, but but yeah. we are we are getting ready for Star Wars month. Yeah, we are. We've we've gone through all four of uh, Daniel Craig's Bonds. Uh, now there, we're go there's through. a little movie coming out pretty soon that might make some money. You think? It might make a couple dollars. Yeah, you know, it'll make like ten or fifteen million so, opening weekend. So, do you think of the Force Awakens? will make as much money as Hunger Games. I mean, let's get serious. Oh my god, dude, please. <laughs> if we were on TV, I would I would say, do you guys want to see Brian's face turn red? But since we're not on TV, I can't say that. What? What are you going to say? The new Hunger Games movie is surprisingly well done. Oh, look, man, I can't talk about the, those fucking Hunger Games movies, man. Like, those writers should be fucking sued for that shit. Like, seriously, how, how can John Carpenter sue the filmmakers for Lockout and the Japanese fuckers that did Battle Royale can't sue the Hunger Games people. Like, that is a direct fucking copyright infringement right there. Well, I don't think Battle Royale was the first time that idea was used. Uh, it's, it was the first time that teenagers were put on an island where they couldn't get off and they have to kill each other in order for one person to survive. And it's also done to raise morale in Japan. That is exactly what well, Hunger I, Games I, I, is. I've seen the movie, and I agree that... I mean, I'm not saying... No, it's not like Deadlock, where it's like, yes, or No Escape, where people are put on a prison planet. I'm not saying that's never happened, or, you know... Well, in, but in, in, in all fairness, though, in this new one, there, there is no Hunger Games. It's a war. Yeah, whatever. I mean, they're still um, profiteering off of uh, some, somebody else's work. 
You know, like they never would have gotten the money to make that fucking sequel had they not made the first one such a huge hit by stealing and ripping off somebody else's idea. Well, I I agree. Why don't you bring up Twilight on the next podcast, Benson? I mean, you just want to go through those next two? You know, I've only (laughs) I've watched Twilight, and then what's the the second? No, we're not talking. We're not. No, we're not doing this. I even watched those with the. the the riff tracks playing and couldn't make it through it. Oh god, those are so bad, dude. Those are so okay. Okay, okay, okay. Hold hold up. Good cinema. Good cinema. Good. Ce- so Spectre. Uh, now that we got through oh, all. Speaking of, sounds kind of hot. Did you hear about? Um, apparently she shot a really racy sex scene with um Chris Pratt, who said he would never do a sex scene. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, that's that uh, it's movie. An they're independent shooting. movie. Yeah. Oh no, that's not independent. The article I read said it was an independent movie. It's got a $150 million budget. It's not independent. It's being backed by like one of the biggest studios. You're talking about the one with Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence? Yeah. It was said it was an independent film. A $150 million independent film. Well, it's yep. still an independent film. I mean... Uh, doesn't, budget doesn't declare if it's an independent film or not. Well, if you say independent film, when you say independent, people think low budget. Not... Okay, see, there's difference here. Independent means two different things. To an audience, independent means budget level. In the industry, industry, it means not backed by a major studio. Yeah, so you're getting money from outside investors and stuff. So that's where the difference is. Yeah, my first experience at AFM, I I learned that I yeah I was talking to the producer of Mister Mister and Mrs. Smith that Brad Pitt Angelina Jolie movie. Yeah, that is not an independent movie. It is. It is an independent film, and. I was like, wow! I never really thought about independent films being made. Wait, no, that was picked like, up by uh, that was that was that had Twentieth Century Fox. No, that had Twentieth Century Fox money put into it. I was standing there talking to the producer. They were selling the foreign rights while we were there. Uh, yeah, that's like that's like but, saying I'm so, independent. Yeah, so the and definition of the independent film. I mean, technically, there's a lot of movies that are independent films. So, well, yeah, I guess technically anything that's not being backed by Hollywood money. So that'd be a lot of lot of movies. They they um they gave a list during the speech of introducing what a, what an actual independent film is. And well, yeah, like, I mean, how many yeah, studios I think are Empire there? Empire Strikes Back was an independent film. It was either Empire or Return of the Jedi. It was one of the two that Lucas no. funded himself. Oh no, he 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 funded all of them. Him, he funded both those movies himself, but there's those are not no those aren't independents because he according formed, to the president well, of AFM he's wrong because Lucas formed a company at that point and put himself in the the definition is that it is not funded by one of the five major studios. Well, if you take it by that, then all but wait well, if you take it by that actually like forty Lionsgate movies. is still considered an independent oh, company. See, that's that's bullshit. You can't say five because like you got Summit now and no, that's well, that's Lionsgate. Oh yeah, they bought Summit. Okay, we're getting way so, off topic and we're, we're okay, bond. But for any of you like film geeks out there, like if you're reading an article and it says this independent film, it very well could mean that like Lionsgate funded it. <laughs> I don't think anybody considers Lionsgate independent. Yeah, no, Lionsgate made more in 2014 than Universal and... Uh, right, like, like now you could say Universal whatever. is a fucking independent. Well, no, not now. Universal's the number one studio. Or Paramount this year, maybe? Uh, yeah, Paramount's sucking this year. Man, they're having a... Actually, Sony and Paramount are both having a real tough time this so year. So when we went, the five that was considered was Paramount, Warner Brothers, Disney... 
Universal, Columbia. If it was yeah. outside of that five, funded by outside of that five, then it was considered an independent film. Wow. You don't even throw MGM in there? They've been around longer than all of those motherfuckers, and they're not going to even throw them up in there? Did, doesn't somebody own them? Doesn't Warner Brothers own them? No, nobody owns them. They, no. I thought somebody bought their library. They bought their library, didn't buy them. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, maybe it was those six They own the Bond rights. That's the only thing that's keeping them, them going. Back to James Bond. Boom. Did you see how I did that? Because, like, MGM got... You see, we're really, this was a planned secular, but... Sony, uh, actually, they just have the distribution rights, and they're actually, they're, they're running out. So, Bond could actually now switch to a different studio, so we'll see. Interesting things ahead. Warner Brothers. Uh, that's what they're talking about. That is seriously what they're talking about, because Warner, they don't have a spy franchise. Every other studio, like, Paramount has the Mission Impossible series. Um... Who's got Born? I think Paramount has the Jason Born franchise. Wait, do they? And no, it's Universal has Jason Born. Well, and there's the talk of uh, Nolan doing the next Bond. Oh, uh, dude, that would be awesome. Which, if he did the next you know, Bond. if he does it, it's going to be done at Warner Brothers. Oh yeah, I'm sure it would. Well, I think Nolan would do it anywhere. I mean, he took Interstellar to Paramount, or Paramount was already Interstellar was already at Paramount actually. And then Warner Brothers came on after he came on. Yeah, because they're going to follow him. Yeah, they want his money. That he's going to make It's them. interesting, though, because, like, the interview I saw with him, saw him say, the guy asked, are you still interested in doing a Bond? And he said, I got, I got that out of my system with Batman. He was in talks to do Spectre before Sam Mendes decided to come back. Because um, he, he took a while to make up his mind whether he wanted to come back for uh, another Bond film or not. They were actually really considering Christopher Nolan, and I think... I think they approached him. I don't know if they made him an offer or not, but they did approach him, and there were talks that were being made. And they were like, yeah, we'd be happy to consider him. Like, yeah, of course you'd be happy to consider Christopher Nolan. What are you, insane? Yeah, yeah I just, I really, really, really love this film. Uh, Craig is 100% what I think of in James Bond now. Uh, I just, I really love the confidence that he portrayed on screen. I loved his moves. I loved how he looks in that white tux. I loved the Bond women in this. They, this this film had the best Bond girls of any of Craig's films. I I loved them. I liked Christoph Waltz. I didn't think he was as good as Javier Bardem, but I think Javier just had a, his the character of Salvia just had a little bit more to do on screen, and that villain was just going to be used for Skyfall, and then he was out. Blofeld. I feel like we can have a returning villain here. And we can set up a bigger story in our continuations. If that pays off or not, I don't know. But seeing this film and seeing it as an introduction to Spectre, seeing as Bond's being introduced to Spectre, having Bond's team come out, having Q and M also get involved in here, I, man, I just think this is the right way to go with the Bond franchise. And I'm really, really looking forward to what they do next. Not to mention, they didn't just get involved. Like, they had their own problem to deal with. No, that is true. That is true. They weren't... They... Spectre wasn't just affecting Bond. Yeah, that Spectre is true. Spectre was fucking with everybody. Oh, but I mean, I really think this is a great Bond film. I, it's one of my favorites. If not my favorite Bond film, so... Wow, you're, so you think this is your number one favorite Bond movie? I mean, it's a bold statement, because there's a lot of them when I watch them. The old love just kind of boils over, and I'm like, ah, oh, giddy as a kid, but... yeah. Uh, you know, comparing it with first view and trying to remember like 
first view of yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this one, and I really like where Sam Mendes has taken the franchise with the the way he's created this Bond world and opened up his backstory. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think the the character arc that we've that we, you know we've watched Bond go through is something that it's sort of unique to that character, and we've we've never really seen it that before like that. We've seen him, you know, start from learning to be a spy. Now, now he's the best spy. I mean, it's really cool to me, like, to watch it all come together. And now that you can watch all of them, you know, back to back and be like, oh, this is like one big long story. Oh, dude, I cannot wait till this comes out on Blu-ray and I can just sit down for like 10 or 12 hours and watch all four Daniel Craig Bond films. It's going to be amazing. There will be days that I'll be like, hey, Brian, can you? No, I'm bonding it. <laughs> Whatever, dude. It's going to start raining outside, and I'm just going to be like, yes! Bond Marathon! Well, these four. I mean, oh my god. I wonder how long it would take you to watch all 24 Bond films from start to finish. That would probably take at least two days. Probably should, three. You should try it. Yeah, you know what? We should... I don't know. Like, just go, like, a, like a 48-hour Bond Marathon. Just be like, hey guys, see if you can make it. That would be insane. <laughs> that's something you do over like Christmas break. Uh, yeah, that's usually what I do. Over like Thanksgiving or Christmas break, because that's when these Bond films come out. They come out in the holiday season. Yeah, I'll I'll usually whenever they come out, I'll have a Bond marathon. Well, all right, guys, I think that's gonna do it for us tonight. If you guys want to get in touch with us, our email address is themoviecrew at gmail dot com. That's the movie crew. Crew is spelled C R E W E at gmail dot com. It's in the show notes. Just click it there, and we'll try to make sure we have some of those articles that we were referencing in the show in the show notes as well for you guys. I think we're going to close it out tonight with the Bond theme song from Sam Smith, The Writings on the Wall. You know what? Let's also play some of uh, Thomas Newman's score here as well, too. Let's, let's put in two tracks because there's, there's a lot of love here. The soundtrack's really good, too. I really like the soundtrack. It minus like the last four tracks. It gets a little repetitive, but they didn't put enough Bond theme in here for me, though. I needed like two more Bond cues, and I would have been like, just, oh, kid in a candy store all right guys it's gonna do it for us tonight enjoy i've been there before but always hit the floor I've spent a lifetime running And I always get away But with you I'm feeling something That makes me want to stay I'm prepared for this I never shoot to me I feel like a storm is coming If I'm gonna make it through the day Then there's no more use in running This is something I gotta face Suffer
As the stars begin to gather And the light begins to fade When all hope begins to shatter Know that I will be Oh, what? 